Hi, this is your host, Corbin, and this is your guide for Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 2013 to remember the top movies released that year. There were 12 Years a Slave, which would go on to win Best Picture, Wolf of Wall Street, Iron Man 3, The Great Gatsby, which I did actually get to see with my school in 10th grade. We read the book. Thor The Dark World, Frozen, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, which was very memorable for me because I had just asked my now wife to be my girlfriend and we went to go see that movie directly afterwards. The Conjuring, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. You know, I've got stories for all of these, like how uh, how we got kicked out of the IMAX theater to see the Hobbit movie, which I wasn't thrilled about. Um, maybe all of these stories will come up at a later time if I review some of these films. Pacific Rim, The Wolverine, and The Purge. Also, Fast and Furious 6. Yeah, they're on the sixth installment by then. From that year, we have reviewed Elysium, Star Trek Into Darkness, After Earth, Prisoners, and A Good Day to Die Hard. I will link to all of those reviews down below. If you would like to reminisce more about the films of 2013, then head over to letterbox.com and make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 85th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Argo. So as you can tell, this is not Brian Singer's Superman Returns 2. That film never happened, at least in our timeline. Maybe in an alternate universe it did. But if you want to know what happened to the failed sequel, what that plot would have been about, how that kind of just fell apart, go back and listen to my review for Superman Returns. And the very end of that review is when I talked about the failed sequel for that film. So Warner Brothers was not wanting to move forward with the Brian Singer world. Well, not even his world, more so the world that Donner created. Singer made a sequel to those films. Warner Brothers said, you know what? Let's just go back to the drawing board again. Let's just reboot the franchise once again. So it was about a year and a half after WB scrapped the Superman Returns, they did turn to a number of creators to figure out a new Superman movie. One of the more surprising and unique takes may have come from Mark Miller and Matthew Vaughn, who I just finished reviewing their as of now Kingsman trilogy of films. In their mind, they had a planned trilogy in epic Godfather or Lord of the Rings style fashion, which is how they describe it. Uh, with none other than Charlie Cox, yes, from Daredevil fame, playing Superman. The first movie in the series would mainly revolve around Kal-El growing up on Krypton, and the last film would end with the sun going supernova, and Superman would lose his powers. It was supposed to be incredible and epic, but those talks ultimately went nowhere, and then we know those two got their Kingsman movie some success, and that's where they went from there. So the reason we do have a Superman reboot and we do have Man of Steel right now is really thanks to Christopher Nolan, who was hot off the success of Batman Begins. And also his co-writer, who is David S. Goyer, is the one who pitched him the idea of how he would approach a Superman movie. And of course, they're going for a more grounded take like they did with the Batman film. Well, Nolan seemed to love the idea enough to go to Warner Brothers pitched them the idea, and WB said, okay, well, we trust you. You're, you've got a pretty good track record going. You can produce the film, and Goyer can write this film if your movie The Dark Knight pans out and it's a critical success. Well, 
as we all know, when that movie came out, it was, I believe at the time, the most successful film of all time. And it is up there still as one of the highest grossing movies considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So, of course, Warner Brothers says, heck yeah, you can definitely go make this movie, go produce, and we're going to give you a budget of $225 million just for the film. So Warner Brothers had complete confidence in Nolan doing this. And if you look at the opening and closing credits, Nolan uses his own syncope production company. Him and his wife produced this together. Nolan even had story input. Nolan gets a story credit. The one thing that I think a lot of people miss is just because Zack Snyder directed this movie, Zack Snyder did not write this movie. He does not get any story credits or writing credits at all whatsoever. He really just came on to direct this. This really was a Goyer project and the Nolan producing. Of course, Nolan wasn't going to direct this because he was still working on his, you know, Batman trilogy and also gearing up production for Interstellar once he moved beyond the Batman films. So it really was a race to figure out now, okay, who would direct this new film? Guillermo del Toro, believe it or not, which I... I'm, every time Del Toro is offered a movie and you hear about it later, you just think, what would that would have been like? And you realize it probably would have been incredible. And I guess the connection with Del Toro later on would be Michael Shannon would work with him in The Shape of Water, but that's neither here nor there. So Guillermo Del Toro said, hey, I'm already committed to The Mountains of Madness, which I'm still frustrated we never got to see that movie. Think, and I think that's probably thanks to Ridley Scott's Prometheus, which is essentially pulling from H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. Um, I still think Del Toro should do that someday. I think it would be absolutely incredible. It wasn't until October 2010, a couple years later, after they're trying to, you know, get the ball rolling here, Zack Snyder signed on to direct the film. And not only that, but Snyder was kind of maneuvering to and I'm, and I don't say that in a critical way whatsoever but it was obvious Snyder was going to become the new head of this DC extended universe he was going to take over the reins essentially since Goyer and well Goyer was going to stay on writing but Nolan really couldn't stay on for too much longer since he had other projects to do Snyder would go on to you know be the front runner for the rest of this uh, world, which I actually have reviewed. I've already reviewed BVS, both cuts, and Justice League, both cuts. I'll link to those below. In June 2012, Hans Zimmer confirmed he would be composing an original score for the film. The Hans Zimmer connection is he did the score for the Batman film. So, of course, no one's like, hey, Hans, you know, got this opportunity for you. And it was confirmed that Zimmer's score would use none of John Williams' composition. One of the more stranger aspects of marketing is Warner Brothers pushing this film to Christian pastors. Typically, Hollywood, at least Hollywood of today, is fairly anti-Christian, fairly anti-religious in general, highly secular. Superman now... Now, Superman has always been a Christ figure of sorts, especially since he was created by two Jewish men whose religion is the foundation for the Christian messianic belief. Now, Warner Brothers did publish resources for pastors to incorporate into their sermons, along with encouraging congregants to go see the film. And this really isn't a joke. The Guardian and CNN 
um, definitely wrote up articles about it and there was online materials, packets. I've seen this involved before. Um, for instance, Sylvester Stallone's Rocky Balboa film, which we have reviewed and I've talked about that on that episode. He did push out resources to pastors as well. And Stallone is an open Christian. So that makes a little bit more sense than, you know, Warner Brothers pushing this whole film. But, you know, we'll talk about the Christian imagery in this one. It's not subtle. It is heavily based into the film. But nevertheless, most marketing doesn't, especially for a major, major, you know, multi-million dollar Hollywood blockbusters push towards Christians. I did think it was fascinating that this is the exact same runtime as Richard Donner's Superman the movie, clocking in at 143 minutes. That's two hours and 23 minutes. I don't know why. Outside of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, and Steel, all of the other Superman films have been over two hours, with Brian Singer's film, which is what I reviewed last week, being the longest film at two hours and 33 minutes. I gotta say, if you're gonna make your film about two and a half hours, you better have a good reason to do so. So that's one thing I see, and I'm like, man, I'm not sure about this. Because Snyder did, was off coming off of Watchmen, and this is probably a reason that Snyder got hired to direct the film, is because of the success of Watchmen, which was a comic book adaptation, and also 300 which was another comic book adaptation. And those were perceived very well. They were perceived as essentially lifted straight from the page, bringing those worlds to life. Um, I think DC also may own the Watchmen, uh, or at least Warner Brothers might own Watchmen. I'm not sure about that. I believe that is the case. That was another Warner Brothers film. Yeah, and 300 was Warner Brothers also. So Snyder had a really good working relationship, at least at the time, which makes sense why it would go to him to direct the film. Now, I did mention it had this gigantic budget, maybe not as big as the budget of Superman Returns. That remains to be seen. It could be a little bigger. There's some unofficial reports out there. But as far as opening weekend goes, it blows all of the other films out of the water with $116.6 million. It was number one at the box office. It did come out um, in June, um, June 14th of 2013 which follows the pattern of at least almost all of the other superman movies coming out in june it's just a thing it really didn't have any competition sony pictures released this is the end think that's a james franco movie that came out um with 20.7 million dollars nothing was going to come close number three was now you see me fast and furious six was dethroned from two to four, and The Purge was actually bumped from the number one spot down to number five, and that movie was hemorrhaging money pretty fast. It did also help that Man of Steel was released in 4,200 theaters, which is a pretty good release. Now, surprisingly, it dropped to number three. Typically, these big, you know, big giant movies go from one down to two, not oftentimes straight down to three. I think this might be somewhat of a shock, but it only grossed $41.2 million in its second week, which is a 64.6% drop. I would say that's a pretty significant drop. Now, Disney did come out with their, I suppose, hotly anticipated sequel, Monsters University, which grossed a pretty good $82.4 million. 
In the Paramount Pictures, Brad Pitt film, World War Z came in at number two with $66.4 million. I think people saw Man of Steel and yeah, everybody kind of saw it then and kind of the stragglers came in, you know, later, but families wanted to go see Monsters University. People wanted to go see this kind of new take on the zombie films with World War Z. Superman just continued to just descend. His powers were zapped by that point in his third week, number five. And from there, it's just a sharp drop, even only in its third week, grossing $20.7 million, which I think it's fairly disappointing, probably. It had also lost 76 theaters by that point. And then in its fourth week, it had lost 1,266 theaters, dropping this down to 2,900 theaters. And it just goes down from there. Um, I think people could see eh, it's had its run. Let's make way for some other things. Just for curiosity's sake, looking at the third week, The Heat came in at number two, dethroning World War Z, which was that um, Sandra Bullock buddy cop comedy. Um, White House Down, the Roland Emmerich film, actually beat out Man of Steel, number four at the box office. So I don't know. See, the Superman movies just can't ever figure it out, it seems like. So what did critics and audiences think of it? Well, at the time, audiences straight out of the theater gave the film an A-. Of all the films on cinema score, this is the highest one. It is just one step above Superman Returns, though. Critics, on the other hand, were split on this movie. Metascore of 55, which means generally mixed reviews. A Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 56%, so technically a majority of critics did promote the film. At least they gave it some sort of a pass, but that is still pretty much down the middle of the road. Now, audiences gave it a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is actually the third highest since the first two films only beat out by Superman 2. Now, this is going to shock a lot of listeners, but these scores are quite a bit lower than Superman Returns. Just to jog your memory, Superman Returns had a 72 meta score and a 74% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I mean, at least critics thought Superman Returns was quite a bit better than this film. Now, it is staying pretty strong on IMDb at a 7.1. That's nothing like really great or anything to write home about, but it's really not too bad. And it is actually the second highest Superman movie rated on IMDb, only just a few points behind Superman the movie. Letterboxd is sort of a different story at a 2.9, which makes it the third highest rated film in the franchise. So across the board, these are mixed scores. Either people consider it to be the second-ish best, some people consider it to be the best, and Others consider it to be just really okay. So it looks like I'm heading into a divisive movie, which is sort of no surprise. The rest of these movies I've reviewed have pretty much been either divisive or pretty much garbage. So we're going to find out on my Monday review where my thoughts stand with this because I have not seen it since theaters. Well, thank you listeners for coming along with me as I've been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Man of Steel, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we get nuts with Tim Burton's Batman.
The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.